Good morning, everyone. Hope you have been enjoying the feast. Haven't heard too many complaints yet. <laughs> the scripture tells us that when Jesus Christ returns to the earth to establish his government on the earth, that he will rule all the nations. Daniel 7, for example, in verse 13, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And Son of Man is one of the titles of Jesus Christ. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And then going on in verse 27, it says, The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. In Revelation 11 and verse 15, it says, The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So, these and other prophecies show that Jesus Christ is destined to establish his government, his dominion, his power, over all the nations of the earth. And of that kingdom there shall be no end. Does that mean, however, that all the nations will just voluntarily and spontaneously submit to Jesus Christ as soon as he returns? Does the Bible give us any insight into events that will occur after Jesus Christ returns to show us the steps involved in extending Christ's rulership and dominion to all the earth so that all the nations are subdued. Indeed, the scriptures are there in the Bible that give us at least a general picture of various steps that will be taken to extend Christ's rule to the ends of the earth. And the end result is that Christ will subdue the nations and they will learn over time that he is indeed God. A major step toward this end involves a massive invasion and war that will occur sometime after Jesus Christ returns to the earth and establishes his throne in Jerusalem. And that war is described in Ezekiel's in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. Today I want to discuss this episode in prophecy and discuss how it fits in with what God intends to accomplish when he intervenes to establish his kingdom on the earth. First though, let's briefly rehearse to fill in the background the outline of events leading up to the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. We're told in a number of prophecies that at the end of the age, the peoples descended from Israel uh, 
or Jacob would be given extraordinary blessings. And these blessings in certain respects would fall especially on the heads of the descendants of the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. In blessing the lads Ephraim and Manasseh, which was a blessing backed up by divine power, Jacob said in Genesis 48 verse 19, He, that is Manasseh, also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother Ephraim shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations, or a company of nations. And the promise of these blessings was to be fulfilled in the last days, that is, toward the end of this present age, as further explained in Genesis 49, verse 1, and other prophecies. Various prophecies showed that the peoples of Israel would multiply in population and become an innumerable multitude, that they would prevail over their enemies, and that they would receive the choicest blessings the earth has to offer. In Genesis 49, verse 25, Jacob, before his death, was prophesying of what would occur in the last days concerning the descendants of his 12 sons and of the sons of Joseph. He said in verse 25, By the God of your Father who will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father have excelled the blessing of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who is separate from his brothers. In the same prophecy, it also explains how the descendants of Joseph would triumph over their enemies and these blessings involve every manner of blessing one could imagine in terms of mineral wealth, agricultural production and various other aspects of material blessings that could be experienced. And as we've explained in other sermons, these promises concerning the sons of Joseph have been fulfilled in the emergence and dominance of the British Empire and the United States in the past two centuries. No other nations have been blessed in history as our nations have been blessed. And they fulfill precisely what God, through Israel, said would occur with uh, the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh at the end of the age. And we've also discussed various uh, proofs that the peoples of Britain, the white English-speaking peoples of Britain and the United States are indeed descended from, physically, from Israel. Other kindred peoples in Northwest Europe, among the most prosperous nations in modern times, have also shared in the blessings promised to the descendants of Israel. But as God promised to bless them, he also promised that if they forsook him, 
he would punish them. Their protection and their blessings would be removed. Their enemies would overcome them and those who survived the warfare that would ensue would be taken into captivity. Now this hasn't happened yet, but we are already in an era where we are seeing our power being diminished, <clears throat> our wealth being beginning to be overshadowed by that of other nations. And we will see more of that as time comes. The disasters that will be visited upon the nations descended predominantly from Israel are referred to as a great tribulation or the great tribulation. Actually, it is, is, a, it is a unique, it's going to be a unique time in history. And it will involve a captivity of the peoples of the Israelite nations that will last for three and a half years at the end of this age. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 24 and verse 21 in a prophecy concerning the end of the age. He said, Then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. This will be a, a tribulation such as never been experienced by the peoples of Israel or any other people. And this tribulation is referred to elsewhere as Jacob's trouble. This tribulation is going to fall primarily on the, on the descendants of Israel or Jacob. As it says in Jeremiah 30 and verse 1, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. Remember what Jesus said. He said that there will, will have never been such a time. And uh, Jeremiah says the same thing of this period. He says there is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. At the time that the people of Israel are being taken into captivity, many other nations will be prospering. And they will be buying and selling the children of Israel as slaves. And our lands will be, have become a wasteland. At the end of the three and a half years of captivity, Jesus Christ will return. And upon his return, he will set his hand to deliver the remnant of the seed of Israel from the places where they have been held captive and enslaved. And these will be places uh, in Africa, in Europe, and in many other parts of the world. That they will be delivered, they will be repatriated to Palestine. In Jeremiah 30 and verse 3 it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. <clears throat> in Jeremiah 30 and verse 8 it says, It shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar 
and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. And so God, Jesus Christ, will bring back the captives of Israel, and they will be settled in the area of the Levant or, or in the land on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean Sea, Palestine, and actually it will be encompassed more than is traditionally known as Palestine, but it will be in that area. And it will be inhabited. That land will be inhabited by the people of Israel who have been brought back out of captivity. It tells us in Ezekiel 36, verse 24, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your, all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land. Now, notice that the land that they are brought into will have become desolate it will have become largely denuded of vegetation. It will be a wasteland. But soon it will be restored. Soon after they return, the desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. So the land that had been desolated <clears throat> will become, as it says here, like the Garden of Eden. It will become very fruitful and rich. <clears throat> so the captives of Israel, as a number of other prophecies tell us, will be brought back to Palestine and established once again in the land a land that has been made desolate by warfare, by famine, by disease, and other curses. And Israel will be settled there. The land will bring forth fruit in abundance. And Israel will become rich. And they will flourish. But 
as Israel begins to flourish, other nations, especially to the north and east of Palestine, or the restored Israel, will begin to look with envy and covetousness on their possessions. And they will begin to think about coming and taking them away. And this is prophesied in Ezekiel 38, where it says, beginning with verse 1, <clears throat> Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with all your army. Horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his, its troops, the house of Tugarma, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword. Into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. <clears throat> so who are these people that are going to come <clears throat> ready to make war against the people of Israel who have been brought out of captivity and resettled in the area of Palestine? The Schofield uh, commentary says that the primary reference is to the northern European powers headed up by Russia, all agree. Goes on to say the reference to Meshach and Tubal, which he interprets as being uh, a reference to Moscow and Tobolsk, which are two leading cities in Russia. <clears throat> is a clear mark of identification. Now, in reality, all do not agree that the reference is to Russia. There are all kinds of ideas floating around about what is meant by uh, reference to these peoples. Uh, most of the ideas make no sense whatsoever in light of uh, actual history. But <clears throat> most of the peoples mentioned here are descendants of Japheth. Remember that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and all of the nations and races of mankind are descended from those three. And these are mentioned, these that are mentioned specifically, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are, are descendants of Japheth. And many believe that various of these peoples eventually settled in the far north of Europe where Russia is, and the steppes of Asia, Siberia, and Eastern Asia, which is a vast area. <clears throat> 
of course. Uh, Asia is by far the largest uh, inhabited continent on the earth. But <clears throat> this is where these people settled that are mentioned here. Also, Persia is mentioned, which is in Central Asia. Ethiopia is mentioned. Ethiopia is translated from the word uh, from the Hebrew uh, word Cush, and who is uh, one of the descendants of Ham. And evidence indicates that some of the descendants of Cush settled not only in Africa but also in India. Libya is translated from the Hebrew put or foot, spelled P-H-U-T or P-U-T. And some of the Hamitic peoples descending from put or foot are also believed to have settled in East Asia. In fact, uh, put or foot is a very common uh, word used in connection with geographic locations and peoples in parts of India, as well as other parts of Asia. And we're told that this vast assortment of people come from the far north, or at least many of them come from the far north, as we read in verse 6, and it's also mentioned in verse 15 and in chapter 39 and verse 2. So we, we know that these peoples are a vast assemblage of uh, various nations, nationalities, and ethnic groups, and that they come from the north, and they will also come from the east because Persia is both north and east of Palestine, as well as other places where these people have settled and live today. And so based on the description given, it is a vast army that originates from Russia and adjacent lands in northern Europe and Asia, as well as others from Central and East Asia. Now, it says there will be others with them. We don't know who others might be or what all that would entail or include, but it will be a vast assemblage of peoples representing uh, many Gentile nations. And they come up against the mountains of Israel against a people who have been brought, brought back from the sword. And in verse 30, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 38, going on in verse 8 again, I read this earlier, but I'll read it again. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud. Sometimes armies in the Bible are compared to clouds or storms, sometimes a cloud of locusts, and that's what it's going to be like. In other words, it's talking about a vast number of people like a cloud descending upon the land. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind 
and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. So this is going to be an attack on a land of unwalled villages, as it says. I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. Well, what is a land of unwalled villages? Well, it is a land that is relatively sparsely populated and probably a scattered population with villages here and there with cities that have not yet been fully rebuilt. Now we already read in Ezekiel 36 and verse 35 that eventually uh, Israel's restoration will lead to the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities being fortified and inhabited. That's in Ezekiel 36 and verse 35. But that will take a while to accomplish the rebuilding of the city so that they are fully complete and fortified and, and inhabited. So apparently this attack will occur before the cities have been fully populated, rebuilt, and fortified. This means that it probably will be only a few years after the millennium begins that this will occur. How many years, we don't know. It doesn't really tell us. But all indications are from what is stated that it will be fairly early in the millennium, some years after it begins, after Christ has begun restoring Israel, but before the nation is fully established and restored. And why are they coming? In verse 12, it says to take plunder and to take booty to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Now this is typically why wars uh, are fought. Usually it is over possessions, what people covet and want to take from others. And this is, will be the primary motive here. They will see the wealth and the riches being accumulated by these relatively small number of people in Israel and they will want to come and take it away from them, what they have. As I mentioned, this, these statements, these details reveal that the events prophesied in these two chapters will likely occur early in the millennium not too long after Christ's return. Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10, which also speaks of Gog and Magog, is often confused with this prophecy, but that describes a similar and separate prophecy which will be fulfilled after the millennium. Don't make the mistake of thinking that Revelation 20 is the same prophecy because it's not. And many of the d details of these two prophecies differ. Now, I don't have time to discuss all the differences and details today, but it is not the same prophecy. 
and and number of commentators get them confused and mixed up, but they're not the same prophecy. They're not talking about the same events or the same time period. Goes on to say in Ezekiel 38, verse 13, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Uh, rhetorically speaking to the, this great army. Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away, away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? So he, these, these uh, peoples mentioned here are nearby nations, nearby the land of Israel, who behold what is happening as they see this vast army descending upon Israel, and they recognize the intent of this vast horde descending upon the mountains of Israel. They understand why they're there. They're there to take what they can get. Ezekiel 38 verse 14 goes on to say, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north. You and many peoples with you. By the way, if you look at a map, you see you draw a straight line north. Uh, from Palestine, you'll eventually come to Russia. <clears> that says the Lord God on that day when my people dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Now, you'll notice, perhaps, that the nations of Western Europe are not included in this description, the nations of Central and Western Europe. And those, those nations will be where the beast power will have, uh, will, will have been leading up to the time of Christ's return. And the beast power is going to be utterly crushed when Jesus Christ returns. The beast is going to be destroyed utterly. And those nations that comprise the beast power, the ten nations or ten kings that perhaps represent ten nations, perhaps more, na more than that, but, but at least uh, those nations that were um, where the Roman Empire was headquartered and focused will have been utterly crushed and, and largely depopulated by the wars and plagues that will have come in association with Christ's return. They will not be among this army, very likely. These are other nations that will have 
despite all of the plagues and the, and the curses poured out in association with Christ's return, will still be, have vast populations of people. And today they are the most numerous people on the face of the earth. And they will, they will still have vast numbers of people even after all that happens prior to, to these events. And God will allow them to come up against Israel motivated by a carnal desire to take away their possessions. You might ask why would he allow this to happen? And there is a reason and a purpose that God is allowing this, and that is to reveal himself to the nations as the God who now rules the earth. These people will not just automatically uh, become converted Christians when Jesus Christ returns. These people have a vast, diverse assortment of cultures and religions. They're not going to abandon their religion or their cultural uh, traditions just because Jesus Christ has come back to the earth. They're going, before they, before they uh, come to uh, terms with God, they're going to have to get to know God. And they will have not really known much, if anything, about the true God up to this point. They're going to have to be taught. And allowing them to exercise their carnality in this manner will be one of the ways that they will indeed be taught. Ezekiel 38 verse 17 goes on to tell us what will happen. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the people of the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. They shall know that I am the Lord. God uses fire, earthquakes, disease, 
floods, hail and brimstone, probably from eruptions accompanying the earthquakes, to fight the host. In addition, it says that God will call for a sword against Gog, and every man's sword will be against his brother. The word brother here is from the Hebrew word ach, which also means relative, kinman, or member of the same tribe. The word is translated comrades in the New Revised Standard Version. And what that implies is that God will cause confusion among the invaders, and they will begin to fight each other, just as when God intervened for Israel at the time of Gideon and during the reign of Jehoshaphat. And so these peoples will begin to fight kill each other. The prophecy continues in Ezekiel 39 with verse 1. It says, You, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. And you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples here with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You, you shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name any more. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. This battle and, and God's response to it is going to be an object lesson for all the nations of the earth to show them who God is the God that they have not known in the past surely it is coming and it shall be done says the Lord God this is the day of which I have spoken then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forests because they will make fires with the weapons. They will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord God. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who passed by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers because they will bury Gog in all his multitude. Therefore they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. Now, exactly which valley this is, I'm not sure, but because it doesn't really say exactly where it says east of the sea, the Mediterranean. But it will be a vast graveyard for these people. And it says for seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying 
and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. So uh, the whole nation will be, <clears throat> will set about the business of bearing this vast multitude. And it's going to take uh, seven months to complete the job. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of the search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bone, he will set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. The name of the city will also be Hamana, thus they shall cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak of every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come gathered together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat till you're full and drink blood till you're drunk at my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed in my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. It's not just going to be a lesson for the Gentile nations, it will also be a lesson for Israel. In verse 23 it says, The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their enemies and they fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness which they were, in which they were unfaithful to me, when they dwell safely in their own land and no one made them afraid when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left, left none of them captive any longer, and I will not hide my face from them any more, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Now, fire is spoken of as a weapon against the invaders. <clears throat> but as we read, the fire will not consume most of them. Instead, their corpses will lie on the ground to be devoured by birds and the beasts of the field. 
and what remains will then be buried. The indication is that the weaponry used by this massive invasion army will be for the most part relatively primitive, including many wooden implements, and there will be many horses and other animals involved. Now you might think that's strange. Why would a modern army use horses and things like spears and bows? if those are to be taken literally, which I believe they probably are. Well, you might, might consider the fact that during World War II, Germany had many planes and tanks and other motorized implements of war, but their army moved primarily uh, by horsepower, that is, literal horses the German army during World War II used hundreds of thousands of horses to move the supplies for their armies in wagons and so forth. That was their primary mode of transportation for supplying their armies, despite the fact that they had modern weapons such as tanks and airplanes. Given the destruction that will have preceded this attack in wars leading up to the end of this age, before the return of Jesus Christ, and the wars directly associated with his return, as well as the massiveness of this army, which will consist, it doesn't tell us how many, but it will probably be many millions, perhaps hundreds of millions involved in this attack, so it's not surprising that they would have many rather primitive weapons, many uh, things such as carts and so forth made out of wood. Much of the world's industrial capacity in modern weaponry, weaponry will very likely have been destroyed in the wars preceding Christ's return. Many of the peoples involved in this attack are peoples that are today relatively impoverished and they will likely be even more so at that time. So very likely there will be weapons of iron and steel, perhaps even some motorized weapons, but there will also be a num number of wooden implements of war and transportation vehicles and so forth and the supply of wood will be so great that Israel will be supplied with wood for heat for a period of seven years after the battle as we read in chapter 39. This war will occur before the nations have learned to live at peace. In fact, this will be a primary ob object lesson to encourage them to begin living at peace with God and with one another. This will occur before the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah and the conditions that will prevail through most of the millennium when the peoples of the earth, as it tells us in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, 
will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. The outcome of the events in Ezekiel in these chapters, 38 and 39, the reason God allows this attack is to confirm His holiness in the sight of the nations and in the sight of Israel so that there's no doubt that He alone is God. It's also going to tell the nations that God is not going to tolerate nations ganging up against other weaker nations and making war on them. That God is going to put a stop, put an end to war. World War I was billed as the war to end all wars, as you might know, which was about as far from being the truth as anything could be because it did not put an end to war. It actually only led up to an even far more destructive war later on. And there have been continual wars since then among nations. This war is going to be the war that will end war for a thousand years. And this scenario fits only in the early period of the millennium when the true God will be relatively unknown to many of the nations of the world and even physical Israel will be barely acquainted with God. As time goes on, many people all over the world, nations will say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And God is going to send emissaries out to the far-flung corners of the world to teach people God's way, God's way of life. And after this, these events, they will be ready to listen to God. You know, customs and traditions that have been ingrained for thousands of years in the minds of peoples do not die easily. It's going to take time for the world to learn about God, to get acquainted with God, and to be taught God's way of life. But in time, the whole world will know the true God. They will know His ways. And as it says in Isaiah 11 and verse 9, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But this is going to take time. This battle will help shape the world by bringing the remote Gentile peoples under submission to God and reinforcing the understanding among all peoples, including Israel, that God has the necessary power to enforce His will on the earth and that He is not going to allow wars to occur anymore. 
once the peoples of the earth learn about God and who the true God is and submit themselves to them, they will begin to be blessed as never before. And the whole earth will blossom forth with untold blessings. Imagine, imagine the one single blessing of never having war again for a thousand years. Think of all the waste, the wasted lives and the, the destroyed property, the poverty that results from warfare, from man's wars. You could take, take a look at what's going on. For example, in Syria, I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures of the cities in Syria that have been utterly uh, devastated by the war that's going on there now. But, but, but the, uh, many of the cities look like nothing but rubble because the buildings have been virtually destroyed. This is, this is what war brings on people. It's evil. And God's going to put an end to it. And these events will help prepare the world for a thousand years of peace, of prosperity, and blessings for all nations, all of whom will have learned to submit to the true God, the creator of the universe, and of mankind.